EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast. I'm Toria Rainey, Program Assistant at BU's Center for the Study of Europe and a junior at Boston University. Today is Friday, September 23rd, and I am talking to Dr. Jerry Alonso, Assistant Professor of International Relations at Raboud University in the Netherlands, about the emerging future in Europe. Uh, my name is Freddy Catherine Alonso, and uh, I'm a visiting professor here at uh, BU, at the Department of Global Studies. And um, for the next two years, I'll be researching here and then I'll be moving back to Europe. So what I bring here is more or less my experience on uh, trade and agricultural cooperation and transatlantic cooperation. And I'll be mostly doing research and perhaps some guest lectures and teaching. Awesome. So we're just going to jump right into questions. Um, And the first one that we have is, what is the future emerging in the European Union given the socioeconomic and political transformations that it undergoes? Um, Well, I would say that most of all the future is uncertain. Um, Like the European Union has existed for almost 60 years now. And we've had periods of integration, periods of enlargement with the Eastern European states, for example, uh, but also periods of stagnation. And the period now is perhaps even worse than stagnation, it could lead to disintegration. So if you were talking about Brexit earlier, if Brexit were to materialize, you would have the first example of very literal disintegration of the European Union, which I hope will not be happening, but you don't know whether it will. So if you ask me how the future looks like, um, I hardly dare to um, make any predictions because 10 years ago, I couldn't have predicted that right now the question of where is Europe going, uh, would it disintegrate or not, that it would be a feasible and realistic question at this point in time. So what will happen, I don't know. I do know that uh, the time now is characterized by a lot of uncertainty, uh, because before we actually know what will happen with Brexit, it will take a number of years. um, And if Brexit does materialize, then the question is which state is next? I'm from the Netherlands. There's a certain blonde politician in the Netherlands who would really like to uh, exit the European Union and the Eurozone as well. So who's next? Uh, Particularly if referenda are going to decide what governments are going to do, it could end up at anything. Because you don't know what most of the citizens will vote. In the Netherlands, I wouldn't dare predict that we would vote to stay. I would, but many other people wouldn't. So uh, lots of uncertainty. So kind of going off of that idea of uncertainty and the possibility of choice, um, I know that one thing that we talked about when we were conceptualizing the project was Nicholas Lemon's idea of what makes democracy so special being that it's unusually open to the possibility of choice. Mm -hmm. So kind of thinking about that and with that in mind, how do you see the role of choice when it comes to democracy? Um, Like, democracy literally is, of course, about the choice of the people and the government of the people. Um, And I do like people to have a choice, uh, but I'm probably, I find uh, representative democracy more important than direct 
democracy. So I see the choice of the people in the political parties and the persons they vote for, assuming that these will represent their preferences and their beliefs in parliament. Assuming you vote, at least in the Netherlands, that's the case, you vote for a party whom you support because they share your worldview and your position about political issues. I think if we really wanted to have uh, individual choices, so of individuals in society and citizens affecting policies, then policymaking would be impossible. There needs to be some form of translation. And I think political parties are still the best carrier or at least a service hedge to get the preferences of people across uh, in the political arena. Of course, there's also interest groups and other ways in which it can happen. But direct democracy and choice like that on the the agora in the old Greece or Athens, I think is not possible anymore. And I don't think we should want it either. So if then the the role of um, the role of these groups is to act as representatives of the citizens, mm-hmm. how would you characterize the citizens' role in democracy or in the European Union? What is it that a citizen who is not directly connected could bring to the table? Um, well, only voting, of course, only gives power every four or five years, depending on whether it's national or European elections. Um, in the European Union, I think that, well, if it comes to influencing what happens in the European Union, I think that most individual citizens would uh, not go to the European level, but actually to the national level. They would rather go to their political party or minister or organization which think that uh, they think really voices what they feel and ask them to get that point across in Europe. So what citizens would do in Europe is perhaps protest, like farmers don't mind going to Europe and protest there, but that's really exceptional and doesn't happen very often. Um, So I think they would rather work through the national levels and all the political and formal and informal uh, links they can use there. Um, When it comes to scientists, uh, I think they are uh, more likely to approach the European level directly. when you're interested in research on political science and international relations, it's really not that difficult to get contacts at the European Commission and have interviews there, not only for conducting your research, but also bringing your research results to them. Um, In public administration and political science, sometimes research outcomes can help the Commission in making better policies, at least better in terms of what this researcher found and not another researcher, perhaps. So I think that as scientists... uh, People have a sort of uh, interest, but also role in uh, giving policy advice when their research makes them able to. And that could help um, policymaking in the European Union. But that said, I don't think that uh, even political science researchers should be political activists. Um, So research comes first. It has to be as independent as possible, although that's never fully possible because you're yourself and you bring your own preferences and experience into your research. Um, but if you have outcomes that are interesting, you should let them know to policymakers, whether it's national or European. Um, and I think the European Union and the Commission are trying to do more to get citizens' uh, voices known uh, digitally. For example, if we're talking about a transatlantic trade and investment partnership, they opened a citizen forum in which people could react to uh, what the European Union wanted to achieve in these negotiations. You never know what they actually do with this information, but at least there is a spot where you can click, 
give your message and do send, then you, well, you hope that they do something with it. And of course, there's the civil, civil society dialogue groups on different issues. Uh, so the commission and different DGs have uh, dialogue groups in which they talk to um, organizations from civil society. So it's not individuals, but organizations, but they represent uh, lots of citizens on environmental issues and social issues, for example. So I think that over time, actually, the European Union has become more open to these things, but it's still not entirely clear what they do with it. So that remains a question. What kind of future would you like to see in Europe? What kind of policies or perhaps ideals do you think could use improvement? Um, well, in the short term, or short or within five years, I would at least hope that the European Union is um, has not deteriorated and dis or disintegrated after Brexit, the financial and economic crisis. Like, if we can survive this, I would be very happy already, and even be happy if they don't integrate any further for a long time. There are not really issues in which I would say we need further integration right now. I think the European Union would be wise to um, really listen to political parties and the citizens in the different ways possible uh, to make sure that um, they do what is politically and socially acceptable. And um, I mean, in a period in which we now know that many political parties, but also many citizens are anti-Europe or anti-EU, um, then I think it's not a time for the European Union to delve into new policy domains and integrating more deeply. Perhaps in the future that's possible. And if it were possible, I would probably think in terms of trade relations intensified with um, uh, developing countries. So uh, the EPA agreements, EPAs, don't know what they stand for, but it's with SADC, for example, on ECOWAS uh, countries. I think that's combining economic interests with also a development perspective, and that's in my own field of trade. Uh, I would hope that they would be able to find some more common ground, not only with um, the United States, but also in the WTO on rules regulating agricultural trade, because it still um, results in quite a number of trade fights. Uh, you name the hormone beef, the chlorinated chicken, which the Europeans don't want to eat. I'm eating it now and I'm still alive. Don't know what it will do in the long term, but uh, in Europe it won't enter the market. And that's simply because we have different rules and regulations and different ideas of how to go about in managing risk, which is fundamentally different in the US than in the European Union. And if there is a way in which we could, well, see eye to eye between the EU and the US and make things easier in the future, I think that um, also the citizen would benefit from that. So I hope that in the future we will find that, be it bilaterally or through the WTO, bilaterally more likely. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. And if I hear the presidential candidates here to be voted on within like six weeks' time, uh, neither of them are too positive about the negotiations with the European Union. So I don't see anything happening really soon. But it will be my field of research for the next two years. So I hope I will be able to explain why it's working out. And otherwise, I'll simply try to explain why it's not working. <laughs> so scientists have always questions and always interesting avenues for research, no matter what happens. Um, kind of going off of that, 
One thing that you had mentioned was the idea of not needing to radically change new policy because the EU is in this volatile time. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the EU is made up of mostly egocentric thinkers who are thinking about the European Union as Mm -hmm. themselves or ecocentrically thinking the way that you described and trying to find that common ground? Where do you see the majority? Um, Like in the people governing the European Union? I think it really depends on the individual and also, for example, in the European Parliament on the type of uh, group you have. There's different voting blocks and some are definitely more into finding compromise and making the EU work than others. There are groups in there who are vehemently opposed to the European Union. They are in Parliament there simply because they want to make sure that integration doesn't go any further. Um, So those are more nationally oriented at least, and not looking for compromise. Uh, I think in the European Commission, uh, most are willing to look for compromise, but sometimes they simply are not sufficiently sensitive to what's happening out of their bubble. I think that's one of the problems. Like if you're as uh, decision makers or policy makers, it can happen in a government anywhere, but in the European Union in Brussels, they're all together and they speak to one another and perhaps not enough to the citizens. And that may be one of the reasons why they're out of sync with what many people in uh, in Europe really want. Um, are there any kind of questions that you would like to answer that we haven't already mm-hmm. asked? Is there anything that you think would be interesting for a listener or something that you don't think uh, we've brought up that you'd like to talk about that's more in your field of trade? Um, let's see if I... Well, perhaps the most important thing... I take from, I mean, I'm 37 years old now. I grew up in a time where there were commercials in the Netherlands for the European Union with nice little boys and girls singing songs about the European Union. Uh, Back then, the idea was still there that even culturally there could be a sort of feeling like we are Europeans. We are not Dutch or Belgians or French or German. We are Europeans. I think that uh, most people have um, concluded by now that that project failed. Uh, I think that most people identify with their nation state more than they identify with the European Union. I may be a sort of exception because I feel like a world citizen and not even a European or a Dutch person, simply because I'm very internationally oriented, which comes with my field of work. But for many other people, it doesn't work that way. Um, So I think that the European Union has gone in different ways than what was expected beforehand. It has remained, in a sense, more technical and less cultural and social. And I don't know if it will ever turn out to be really a cultural union. I don't know if we would want it to. Uh, But what I've learned in the past 30 years is that things don't go as you would expect them. And that what I said earlier, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have expected where we are now with disintegrating potential European Union, a refugee crisis, which can blow up lots of the system, uh, Greece with the whole Euro problem. I mean, we're deep in problems and I don't see the end of the tunnel yet. Um, So perhaps it's a bit on a pessimist note, but uh, I would have expected when I was younger that European Union would be more more advanced at this point in time than it actually is. And I think we should uh, all, well, come to the ground, be uh, down to earth and see this is where we are and where do we go from here. Realistically, not what we would all want, but what is possible. Let's start there. 
And lastly, um, if you were given the platform to reach either common members of the EU community or just the global community as a whole, what would your call to arms be about kind of out of the box thinking and getting to a place where we are thinking realistically and moving forward? Um, I think my message would be uh, look past your own interests and try to find the common interest because it is there even though some parties would make you believe that it's not. I'm not naming parties and blonde guys here, but they do exist. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, you're welcome. Really appreciate it. I hope it was helpful. Yeah, really helpful. Yeah, and not too fast. I'm a fast speaker. (laughs) It's a good thing it's in English. My English is not as fast as my Dutch. listening to the EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C. 